I'm Shannon. And I'm Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help us all expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. <laughs> it sounds really funny hearing my own voice. Um, Shannon, I've been thinking about uh, how to pull people together in different ways. And I've just been hoping for between three to five pieces of advice for that. And so what are we talking about this week? And could that help me with my party planning issues? Rami, I have just a book for you. Your intros, they just get better and better. Okay, so today we are talking about The Art of Gathering. This is a book all about how we gather together. So think everything from the dreary, dreaded workplace meeting to large-scale conferences, all the way to dinner parties with friends and summer camps. So the author feels that sometimes the gatherings in our lives are kind of lackluster and unproductive. Priya Parker is the author? Yes, thank you. But they don't always have to be. So what are the recommendations that she has for us to create meaningful and memorable experiences, whether they be personal or professional, large or small? So let's kind of dive in. So the thought is, anytime we get together with people, it should always be like a good time if we set it out to be, if we set it up properly. Yes. And a good time doesn't always mean like, yay, good time, fun. In the workplace, it might be more of like a productive time or a useful time. So I love that she talks about the spectrum, right? It's not all about the art of gathering in the workplace or the art of gathering outside of the workplace. She blends both. And it's compelling to me to see how the themes that she offers apply to both places and spaces. So there's five themes that we're going to talk about today. There's probably 10 in the book, but these were my five favorite that really made me think and want to gather differently going forward. The first one that we're going to talk about is committing to a bold and sharp purpose. Sharp is her word that I love. So In the book, she talks about how there are oftentimes like so many good reasons for us to come together, to celebrate, to mourn, to make decisions, to build, to welcome, that oftentimes we don't even know why we're getting together in the first place, because there's just like a multitude of good reasons to get together. And so she really encourages folks to think about your gathering as an opportunity to take a stand for something and thinking of your purpose as the bouncer. I really like that. I really like the idea that the purpose is the bouncer and it's like, this is why we're here. And let's make sure we don't forget that because the big 12 foot elephant in the room is going to make sure that we remember that. Yes. Yes. And this is so cheesy, but I was even thinking about this in just my husband and I, I don't know if you could even say that that was gathering, right? But we were celebrating our 14th anniversary recently. And I was thinking like, what is the purpose of us like having this meaningful time together? And it was like to celebrate, you know, and how different our conversation was because I had that purpose in mind instead of how sometimes our date nights can go where it can be like a tactical, like, holy shit, who's traveling when and what's coming up and what do we need to do? But when I, I didn't even tell him that I had like established that purpose in my head, but I was like, no, the point of this is to celebrate and to just like be with each other. And that helped narrow focus. Anyways, I'm getting off track. So questions to help us establish and narrow our purpose of gathering. 
Here are four. There was like 20 offered in the book, but these were the four that made me think the most. What is the larger issue or challenge that we're addressing through this gathering? So that's about creating specificity. The more focused and particular a gathering is, the more narrowly it frames itself and the more passion that then can be aroused from that. The second question, what's our desired outcome for this gathering? What do we want to walk away with? Frankly, I'll ask that question even with clients sometimes in coaching sessions where they might be coming in with like a lot on their mind and it's like, let's focus. Like, what do you want to come away with? The third one is how does this event stick its neck out a little bit? Does it take a stand? Is it as specific as we can get? I guess there's only three questions then that I wanted to talk about. Rami, I'm curious, how do you feel about, I want to break up personal and professional. How do you feel about personal gatherings with a clear purpose? Have you been to any personal gatherings that you think like had a clear purpose? So uh, I remember one time my friend and I, we went on a trip and we're like, okay, this is like our trip and it's kind of like between our birthdays. So we're going to use it to like celebrate our birthdays. And so like the whole time we're like, it's our birthdays. Like, this is fun. Like, this is going to be like a much more different trip because we're celebrating our birthdays. Um, and I think about now that you say that, like, how do you, when you see that person and you see them every once in a while, like when I see you in person, Shannon, I don't see you that frequently, but when I do, Maybe the next time we get together, we're celebrating, I don't know, 150 episodes or 200 (laughs) episodes or something. Like, we're celebrating something like that as opposed to we just need to catch up, right? Like, it's still really nice to catch up, but it's even nicer when it's like, oh, we're celebrating whatever, plus we're catching up, right? Like, add that that bold and sharp purpose. Yes. It it sounds like the difference between my experience with our 14th wedding anniversary. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, the, the purpose is just to celebrate. It's not like that like generic catch-all of, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, quick, let's like barf everything that's happened that we haven't had a chance to talk about. It's like, no, we get to celebrate. We get to sit back a little bit. It's funny because as I was thinking about this episode, I have attended, I would say not a ton, but a fair amount of personal gatherings that have a purpose or an agenda, if you will. And sometimes they make me kind of like, constrict and tight, you know, because it's like, what? This is personal. This isn't work. We shouldn't be doing this. But after reading the book, I think I have more respect for personal gatherings that do have a clear purpose. Yeah. Do you think it's any different in professional spaces in terms of purpose and how we feel about that? I think I I am more upset I, I don't think I'm ever upset for a personal, unpurposeful gathering. Yes. I think I'm always upset in a professional, non-purposeful gathering. Agree. Agree. Totally. Okay. Let's move into theme two. This one made me uncomfortable, and I liked it. <laughs> Be willing to exclude people. 100%. I don't feel uncomfortable. I love this. I well, have no, oh, no so, qualms. Right. But like this, 
I would say at first I was like, oh, what? This is terrible, but it makes so much sense. So let's talk about this a little bit. In the book, she says, the artful gatherer understands that inclusion can be uncharitable and exclusion is actually generous. She has this quote from, I don't know if it was Barack Obama or his aunt or something, but they said, if everyone is family, no one is family. Yep. It's blood that makes a tribe, a border that makes a nation. If everyone is invited, no one is invited. By closing the door, you create the room. So, yep. so I'm so, sold. Yeah. I've been sold, Shannon. I am sold. <laughs> well, and this was this is a good lesson for me personally. I, I'm thinking about this more on the personal side of exclusion, where maybe I was experiencing some resistance to it. Can I go on a tangent and tell a little bit Please. of a story about Artful Gathering? So as listeners might might know or may not know, I have a crap load of siblings. <laughs> there are – I have uh, five sisters and six brothers and me. You know, like that's just a lot of human beings. And as we're navigating my parents' care, my parents are aging, and my parents have a business, and there's some decisions that need to be made there, we started meeting as a sibling group. And some of my siblings felt very strongly about excluding my parents from these conversations because Mm -hmm. the concept was like, we really need to focus on how we are going to build and establish relationships with each other for when mom and dad are gone because we need to learn how to like work together and figure some stuff out for the business especially. And I agreed with that at first, but then I went through a phase where my mom really took offense to it. She was so hurt that they weren't included in these gatherings. (laughs) And so I was like, no, 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 no. We need to include mom and dad again. But it totally changes the dynamic of the room. It totally changes it. My mom plays the role of like mediator between kids. And it's just like, we're we're not learning like how Mm -hmm. to converse or dialogue with each other. So for me, that's the personal lesson that makes me really believe in this theme. I'm wondering for you, Rami, if any examples come to mind around where someone was included and they shouldn't have been. Or where you excluded in order to be truly generous? I can think of a lot of professional examples. Well, share one, because we haven't talked about the professional space on this side. So, my boss is funny, and when we're talking about meetings, he's always like, do I need to be there? Can I not come to that? Like, he wants to not go to things, which I think is good. But the other day, we had a meeting, and our group is, I don't remember, let's say it's six people or something. I like very purposefully was like, we're going to exclude one person and we're going to have a very quick meeting and we're going to go on our way. So we like had the quick meeting. We like sent the update to the broader group and everybody was like, yeah, that meeting would have been derailed had we included the other person or the other two people. Like good thing we as a like short team met, got through whatever it was and they're going to be aligned with us because if they're in the room, they're going to derail the meeting. And so I think especially in those instances, professionally, like exclude people that you know are going to derail so that you can get where you need to and then update the broader group so they're aware of what's going on. But like, I don't know. I, I just, I can't deal with having those people in very urgent meetings. I think mm-hmm. when it's like a normal weekly thing, like, fine, you can derail us. That's okay. But like in those urgent ones, it's like, no, we don't have time to be derailed here and just like bulldozed. Yeah. 
in what you're sharing in this example, it, I think it ties in beautifully to the questions that she encourages encourages us to ask. So how do you exclude generously? She says, exclusion asks three core questions. Who not only fits, but also helps fulfill the gathering's purpose. So in the example you shared, I think like your purpose was to make a decision urgently. <laughs> that person sounds like would not have helped fulfill that purpose. The second question, who threatens the purpose? So there are people that derail, you know, mm-hmm. that might just be threatening the purpose of the gathering or or they might try to exert their own purpose onto the group when it's not the purpose of the group getting together. The third question she asks is, who, despite being irrelevant to the purpose, do you feel obliged to invite? i.e. my parents in the case of the sibling gathering. So being mindful of those things and recognizing that sometimes exclusion can be actually a huge act of generosity. I had a boss a long time ago that we always felt like he needed to be in the room because he was like everyone's boss and he loved being in the room. Mm. But he would just tell stories that had nothing to do with anything. And you're like, oh my God. Like, if he's coming, we know that we're going to lose five to ten minutes because he's going to tell us some, like, kooky story about some point in the last 60 years of his life. (laughs) Which is fine. Like, they're fun stories. But, like, we just know that we're going to lose that much of the meeting. And then they're not going to say anything the rest of the time. Like, just a waste of space the rest of the time. Yes. Yes. I think we can all think of, like, those people that maybe should be excluded. (laughs) Okay, so the third theme that I wanted to touch on is to prime your guests well. In the book, she says that 90% of what makes a gathering successful is put in place beforehand. It's an attempt to get people in the mood. Many of us have trouble asking guests to bring wine or a side. Many of us don't have trouble asking guests to bring wine or a side dish. But rarely do we think about asking guests to do something in in advance. So priming is those things that we might ask someone to do in advance. So, and it doesn't have to be hard, right? It can be a thoughtful email to prepare them. It can be an interesting invitation. It can be asking your guests a series of questions or asking them to bring a photo. And one of the examples that she gave in the book that I just loved was a secret society invitation that Mm. this guy received with clues like that he would keep getting over the span of maybe six months that eventually ended up being the priming to his own bachelor party right and i was like oh that's so cool and it just set the tone right of like you're in this secret society because you're you're our friend you know another example that she gave in the professional space of priming done really well was a dignitary who was given a kindle loaded up with a bunch of pre-reading before she came to a major like conflict resolution or something conference and the small design choice of giving them a loner kindle made it possible for them to capture this incredibly busy woman's attention to signify that this event was going to be different than other events that she had attended right this is a person that's going from like 5 a.m in the morning until 12 a 12 a.m at night you know And I'm wondering, Rami, have you ever attended an event or a meeting where you felt like you were well-primed? Yeah. Professionally, I think I've been to a few meetings where they're like, okay, here's like a few Harvard Business Review articles I want everybody to read. Having read them, like, come and we're going to discuss those. Yes. 
it almost feels like being in college again where they're like, do the reading. We're going to discuss it. <laughs> yes. But you're like well primed. And honestly, if that's my example, I think it actually makes more sense because then you can have a much more thoughtful discussion. It's like book club, right? Like when I go to book club, we all read the book. We all read the book and we come. We are all primed well to have a very purposeful meeting to talk about the book and like enjoy each other's company with the book being the driver of everything and the purpose. So, um, yeah. And I like those. And that's where I think like, it would be weird to go to a book club where everybody showed up with wine and no one showed up reading the book. See, and I've been to many book clubs like that, (laughs) but I think the difference there is, is what's the purpose, right? Because sometimes book club purpose, if we go back to theme one, is all about connection, right? Like it's just an excuse to connect. But if you're clear that your purpose is like, no, I actually want to talk about this book, (laughs) then it can create a different demeanor and maybe a different level of priming that guests are willing to do, depending on how clear you've been about the purpose. Well, but then you could just change it if it was no one wanted to read the books. You could just have one of those like, um, like meetings where people just talk about things. Yes. They do it in Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. Where they like take turns like speaking and talking about what they want to talk about, which I think is like the same concept as a book club, but without the books. Yeah, yeah. I think about two, like uh, uh, my college reunion comes to mind. You know, of like where the the university primed people well by saying like bring your pictures or bring your memories, you know, because like the purpose of the event is to reminisce and celebrate. Bring There's your pay stubs. What? To show people how much more money you make than them. No, not that. Not that. <laughs> but it got me thinking a lot about priming guests well and how I might do a better job of that. Because I do think it's it sets the tone, you know? It can make your purpose a little bit more clear. It's also like if uh, my favorite meetings are the ones where people send the agenda ahead of time. Even if it's like mm. 10 minutes before the meeting, it's like, oh, here's the like... We know what we know what the normal agenda is, but like here are the specific bullets that we're going to talk about. I really like that. And I like that a lot. And I feel very ready for that meeting as opposed to no agenda. What's up, everybody? Let's throw some stuff against the wall and see what happens. Yes. Agree. Okay, let's shift into the fourth theme, which is to have explicit rules because they will liberate your guests. I love it. Quote from the book on this one, in a world of infinite choices, choosing one thing is the revolutionary act. Imposing that restriction is actually liberating. Shannon, this is design thinking 1000%. Is it? 1000% this is design thinking. Yes. Okay. Now I want to go back to that episode, but I'm remembering in an episode where you gave the example of like you tell people to think of like uh, to make a list of anything that's the color white. Mm-hmm. And they can't think of anything or they can't think of very many things. And then you put the specificity on it or you put the rule on it of in your fridge. And then mm-hmm. you can think of like many more things that are white. Yeah, no. Design thinking is as explicit with rules and as rigid to those rules as possible, right? Like every minute is predetermined in design thinking. Like you've got the agenda. This is how we're going to spend four minutes. It's going to spend 10 minutes. It's going to spend an hour. And you literally say, okay, you got four minutes. We're going to do this thing. Go do that thing for four minutes. All right, come back. 
Now we have four minutes to discuss what we just did. All right, now I'm going to send you right back. We're going to do it again. The whole thing is explicit rules to liberate them from having to do anything but focus on the task at hand, which actually makes them much more comfortable with it. Yes. I love that. One of the examples that she shared in the book, I would say this book too is just full of inspiring events. Like I probably bookmarked at least five or six different events that happen worldwide that I didn't even know about that I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. That sounds like fun. So you should read the book if only to get inspired by events that you don't even know are happening in your part of the world that might surprise you. One of the events that she described though, where they have explicit rules is something called I am here day. And it's all about exploring your city with a group of folks. I I don't think, I don't remember for sure, but I don't think the rules are explicit to say like it can't be your friends. Like you could do an I am here day with your friends, but they have these explicit rules. One of which is you do not use technology on I am here days. So no phone, whatever. Like literally if you need maps or directions. You're asking. You're asking or you're getting a paper map like to, to look stuff up. You're going to MapQuest and printing it out ahead of time. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And she talks about how in her own experience of of participating in these events, that it's the space between that gets used differently. So she says like how we all carry the capacity to check out of the present time and space, right? It's like the, the quick five minutes that I have in between meetings where I can text someone, where I can look something up, where I can flip through Instagram because Instagram has programmed me to use my in-between time to flip through Instagram. And I am here day. What she says is like, it really encouraged her to use the unfilled time differently by saying Mm -hmm. no technology. Instead, you have to talk to the person next to you. You have to go deeper into the experience of I am here day. You get to observe something around you instead. So I found that really inspiring. Robbie, you already talked about design thinking as some, some way that you have been a part of events that have explicit rules to liberate people. Are there any other examples that come to mind? Maybe in the personal space? Have you ever attended a personal event where there was like explicit rules? Yeah, I've been to a few where they were like, we have to put our phones like off and in our bags and like whatever. And I think you said it, but I really want to double down on it, which is that like in between time Mm -hmm. when you can't just like hop in, check your email, whatever, check in on your kids or family or whoever you're checking in on. Um you check in on the people around you and you start to get to know the people around you. So it's like those in between times that we're so good at taking that filling. Now I think back to like, I was watching a movie the other day and the protagonist was walking around with a book the whole time, right? This was like pre cell phones. And they're like, Oh, anytime I get like a break, I'm going to sit down and read this book. And I feel like every time they went to go read their book, someone interrupted them either to talk about the book that they had to like tell them, Oh, I really like that book. And they're like, yeah, I think I would too, if I could get any time to read this book, but I keep getting interrupted. But it's like back then, like you didn't have a phone to distract you. So you like, you carried a book or nothing, right? Like you just would stare off or talk to the people and appreciate that in between time. Yes. Yes. She gives another example in the book that's coming to mind now where I don't know if she does this at her own dinner parties or if she attended a dinner party where they had this rule that you could not pour yourself a drink. Someone else had to pour you a drink and it was to be in service of connecting guests, right? Like you can't just 
Yeah, like you have to ask for help or you have to offer to pour someone else's drink for them because you can't pour your own. So it's making sure that your rules are in service of the purpose. You know, if the purpose is to connect people, yeah, offer up some weird freaking rules to help people connect. Well, and I don't know that we've had a whole episode and we will at some point because I love standing in lines, but standing in lines is one of those places where if you think about it, like pull yourself out of everything. We aren't forced to stand next to strangers in almost any circumstance anymore. Like even the longest lines we can think of, which to me is like the DMV, you don't stand in a physical line anymore, right? Yeah, like you get a number and you number. go sit down wherever you want to and you can like pop on your phone. But if you're physically standing in a line waiting for something, barbecue, merchandise, whatever it is, you are stuck in that spot next to those people for some extended period of time. And that is the that middle space where like, yeah, we can all sit on our phones, but at some point we're going to start to interact with each other. Yeah, I want to do an episode now on your your love of lines. <laughs> I love lines, Shannon. And I've made everyone a believer in line standing by standing in line with me. That's awesome. I want to hear more. I was standing in line at a really awfully long line at Aldi the other day. <laughs> and I did. My my hands were super full and the ladies in front of me, her hands were super full and we weren't going to pay the 25 cents or whatever. So mm-hmm. we struck up a conversation with each other because we couldn't get out our phones. And it was actually a really inspiring conversation. <laughs> so anyways, another day Rami will tell us more of his line loving ways. Okay, our fifth and final theme from this book is that hosts should act with generous authority. So what the hell is generous authority? (laughs) Generous authority is about running an event or gathering with a strong, confident hand, but selflessly for the sake of others. So it's imposing in a way that serves your guests, sparing them from the chaos or domination or pretenders. And it's a willingness to be disliked in order for your guests to have the best experience. So she also goes on to say, like, we should really be protect, be authoritative in service of three goals. First is to protect your guests. Second is to equalize your guests. And third is to connect your guests to one another. So protecting your guests from one another, boredom, technology, And she gives this example of Amy Schumer facing down a heckler at a comedy show, you know, where somebody where a heckler says to Amy Schumer, like, where'd you get your boots? And Amy responds on the corner of you can't afford them and stop talking to me. That may be she had to step into a willingness to be disliked in order for the other guests at her show to have a great time, right? Because she was using her power to prevent one heckler from ruining the show for everybody else by derailing it. The Um, Shannon, sorry. Yeah. Speaking of female comedians facing down hecklers. Did you see the one that went viral a while ago where no. this lady was getting heckled by some person and then they finally because she like tore him a new one threw their beer at her. It didn't hit her, but then she picked it up and then just chugged it and then the whole audience was with her at that point cuz they were like, yeah, this lady doesn't give an f. Like Oh my gosh. Like she just took a thor- in the same way that Amy Schumer I'm sure did, but like it was just like, yeah, nope. This lady owns the room. Like, nobody yes. else is going to mess with her at this point. Like, we are here and we support you. 
Yes. Yes. And seeing that as like actually being protective of the guest, right? Because that is the generous authority perspective. She's not doing it. I mean, I guess you could be doing it for yourself, but she's doing it to make sure that the broader audience has a great time. Okay. So then the second one that's in service is to equalize your guests. So that's about removing status, level, degrees, and things like that. And the example that she shares in the book is uh, a TED conference founder. So at TED conferences, there's a rule that you can't wear ties. Because they're trying to equalize the audience. Yeah. And so the TED conference founder walked onto the stage in the middle of a production and like cut off someone's tie (laughs) with the scissors in the middle of the show. And I guess this person was like a very high level someone somewhere and was also a friend of the founder. Yeah. But he was he was wanting to equalize the guests and really enforce the rules. The rules. We go back to rules by hosting with generous authority. Then the last one that I already touched on was connecting your guests to one another. So you could risk looking like a fool or going too far or annoying people in order to foster linkages between them. The I shared this one earlier when we talked about rules. The rule that you can't pour yourself your own drink, you know, that might annoy people. But if the purpose of your event is to connect them, do it. Or I'm remembering corporate events or like conference events more often where you couldn't sit to someone that sit next to someone that you already knew. You have mm-hmm. to sit next to someone you don't know because the point is to foster connection. So Rami, I'm curious, are you do you think you're good at generous authority? Do you I, protect, equalize, connect. I like how it's called generous authority. I feel like it's always just me being very like dictator (laughs) yeah in that like we came here for this purpose like we need to get through these things like whenever a meeting gets derailed that i'm running i'm like okay cool like we can talk about that later like these are the things we need to talk about um i like the idea of it being generous authority and when i think about it from a design thinking perspective it feels that way a lot right like when you're we've got six hours or eight hours together and we want to come out of this with this thing And more than that, like, I want you all to connect with each other. And to do that, we have to be very rigid to the rules that I'm setting in place here. And we need to align to those and follow those to get where we want to. Mm -hmm. I think by setting that as the base, I think it's very easy for you to be like, okay, we're done. Like, let's go on to the next thing. Or like, I need to stop you. Like, we need to do this other thing or whatever it is. Like, I think you can get there by setting the right baseline. And I think the TED conference founder guy does that right like he says probably in the thing that people sign like you should not wear a tie you cannot wear a tie like i'm sure it doesn't say i'm gonna cut your tie off while you're presenting but he doesn't need to say that because he told you and you signed up to no tie so you show up in a tie he has the right to go and chop your tie off yes 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 so that's what i'm saying like as long as i think you let put the rules out ahead of time with an explanation of why the rules are in place, then I think it's very easy to act with generous authority. Yeah, I would say the rules and or the purpose. I think this book is pushing me to become a better facilitator in my group programs too, because I think I probably have room to grow in protecting, in the protecting part of generous authority, you know? Because I'm like hesitant to cut somebody off or ask them to paraphrase or whatever. But it's like, well, in some ways that might be really generous to the other people in my group programs who to make sure that they also have airtime to get coached that night or whatever it might be. Made me think. Okay, so let's talk tactical for a minute. How can you apply this to your life today? First, identify a gathering that you've got coming up that you are 
ideally hosting, but even if you're not hosting it and you're just attending it, I think you could do practice some of these principles for that too. And then asking yourself, like, where can you get even 5% more mindful about this gathering and do it a little bit more artfully? So again, if we go back to the five themes, how might you clear up the purpose? Even if you're an attendee, you can ask somebody else, what's the purpose? I did that recently. Somebody asked to, somebody was introducing me to somebody else and asked for a meeting. And I was like, in nicer ways, I was like, what's the point? Like, what are we Why trying are we to meeting? do? Yeah, because yeah, I'm, and I, and I ended up not taking the meeting. So I was like, nope, I'm not taking that meeting unless their point, their purpose, their commitment aligns with mine right now. So that's question one. How might you clear up the purpose? How might you generously exclude other people? in service of the purpose, how might you prime the guests well or ask to be primed well if you're an attendee? How might you have explicit rules to help liberate the guests? And lastly, how might you host or encourage the host to host with generous authority? I like this a lot. I know that you have a question for them to connect with us, but I actually have a pivot on that question. Please. If I ask my question. So, We'd love for you guys to connect with us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, um, and let us know what you thought of this. But I want to know if you guys have been to a gathering with a really interesting rule, like the you can only have others pour drinks for you. That's what I want to hear, because those are the ones that I want to steal and have a rigid rule party uh, involving all these really fun rules. That's what I want to know. And I want to know what that rule is in service of. Because I don't want to go to a party that just has a bunch of stupid rules for no reason. They're to make it it more fun. Having rules (laughs) is more fun, Shannon. Obviously. Duh. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. (laughs) Well, we'll leave it at that. With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. (laughs) 